We're going to begin a new series called Free Indeed, and I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5, open your Bibles to Mark 5, actually, and then put a marker at Luke chapter 10, and we'll flip over to to Luke 10 toward the end of the message. So Mark chapter 5, that's where we'll begin. Uh, I'm basing the series on a Scripture that if you want to jot the reference down, John 8, 36 says, he whom the Son makes free is free indeed. He whom the Son makes free is free indeed. I want you to understand something as we begin this series. I can't tell you how important I think it is that you are here for this. Uh, Satan will do everything he can to keep you from hearing this series. Uh, I, I have preached um, along these lines. Uh, we have an entire department, Freedom Ministry, dedicated to this topic, but I've never preached a series on this subject, never felt led to until now. And I'm so excited about what God's going to do. But let me tell you why it's very, very important for you to be here and why Satan will do everything he can to stop you from hearing this series in particular, because he does not want to get caught. And when a thief is caught, he has to restore what he has stolen sevenfold. That's Scripture. That's Proverbs. I'm not not making that up. He doesn't want to get caught. And most believers are not free indeed because they don't believe that they can indeed be in bondage. And when Jesus makes this statement in John 8, 36, he's actually speaking to believers He's talking to those Jews, verse 31 says, who believed in him. So is it possible for a believer to be in bondage? We're going to answer that question. I'm even going to answer some very difficult questions, such as can a Christian be demon-possessed? So we will talk about that, all right? John, I mean, pardon me, Mark chapter 5. We're going to read the whole story. I started to just read the first part and then the end. Now, I thought, no, the story's too good to leave out any. So, we're going to read the whole story, all right? Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to him, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. This is uh, the city of Gadara. So, they called it the Gadarenes that lived there. And when he'd come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, this is one of the ways the Bible refers to a demon, who had his dwelling among the tombs, in other words, he lived in a cemetery, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones." When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Word worship, proskuneo in the Greek, means to bow down. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, what have I to do with you, Jesus? Now, let me me say something here before I say this. Verse 7, this is actually the demon talking through the voice of the man, but this is the demon talking. And you'll, you'll understand why because of what he says. And the next verse tells us Jesus had already spoken to him before this. We just get it in reverse order in the writing. Verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, now this is the demon talking, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? 
I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Okay, see, that wouldn't be the man because Jesus wouldn't torment a man. That's the spirit talking. And then verse 8 tells us Jesus had already said something to him. For, for, he said to him, some verses say he had already said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So Jesus already told him, come out. And he said, what have I to do with you? Please don't torment me. Verse 9, then he asked him, what is your name? Now, look look at me again for a moment. He's not talking to the man. (laughs) He's talking to the demon that's in the man. And, and the demon answers. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Just to let you know, Legion uh, uh, is a Roman word, which means 6,826 soldiers, when he referred to a troop of soldiers. 6,826. Okay, th- th- this guy was demonized. <laughs> my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Demonic spirits like to stay where they already have a stronghold. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons, not just one now, all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once, Jesus gave them permission Then the unclean spirits went out and entered swine. There were about 2,000, so at least 2,000 demons. And the herd ran violently down the steep place in the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. You you thought it would say, and they were happy. (laughs) And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed. We're going to completely define that word today. And about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. You would think they would have pled with him to start teaching seminars or something. (laughs) And when he got in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home. Go home to your friends. Remember, he didn't live at home. He lived in the mountains in the cemetery. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, let me just, a couple things here. One is Decapolis is not a city, it's 10 cities. Deca meaning 10 from the Greek word. It's actually 10 Greek cities. Polis meaning like a metropolitan area or metroplex is where we get that, that term from. So 10 cities. Uh, Gadara was one of these 10 cities. Damascus was one. Remember, Paul was on his way to Damascus when he was converted. Philadelphia, not the one in Pennsylvania, was one of these 10 cities. There are 10 Greek cities. And that's probably why they were raising swine because uh, uh, Jews didn't do that, but the Greeks had come in and influenced that, that society and that culture. Okay. So this guy goes and proclaims what's happened. He's demonized and he gets set free. Demon possessed and he gets set free. Fantastic story. There are a couple things that I want to talk about from this story though. Okay. Here's the first one. Uh, number one, there really are demons. There, there really are demons because Jesus set this man free. Uh, The word demon is in the Bible in the New King James Version 82 times. 
Uh, some of the other versions, 80 times. It's just simply that they translate the word a little differently in those versions. 61 times it's in the Gospels. 61 times we've got it, the word in the Gospels where Jesus is directly dealing with demons or talking about demons. Jesus himself coming to talk about demons. One of the reasons that I think that it's so much in the Gospels is because no one ever had authority over demons until Jesus came. And he had authority, and then he began to immediately confront demonic strongholds and bondage. Uh, demons are, come from the fallen angels. Uh, the, one-third of the angels fell. By the way, again, because I'm a math guy, you know, numbers just immediately add up in my mind. I just thought about this. I forgot to even tell the other two services this, so you may hear this throughout the series again. I may say it again, but I just, I just had this thought when I was studying for this. Okay, one-third fell. And just boom, just like that. The math went in my mind. I thought, wow, that means for every one that's against me, there are two for me. So we got them outnumbered two to one, just, just so you know. And it's not that big of you say, well, even two to one, boy, they're tough. Well, let me just tell you, they're not as tough as you think in Jesus' name. Because when God decides to throw Satan in the pit, he doesn't even come and do it himself. He only sends one angel to do it. He only sends one one angel to bind Satan and throw him in the bottom of his pit. And, and what's, I, th- I could just see it, by the way. As I just feel like one day Jesus will say, all right, that's it. That, that is it. I have had enough. Uh, go, go, go get Satan, throw him in the pit. And Gabriel might say, well, Lord, uh, who do you want to go? Uh, I'll send the new guy. <laughs> just, just make sure he says in Jesus' name. So the, the demons came from, from fallen angels. They are disembodied spirits. Listen, they're looking for a body. They enter bodies. They inhabit bodies. They were in the body of this man. Not his soul or spirit, but they were in his body. When Jesus cast them out, they said, let us go into the swine because they wanted a body. By the way, that, that uh, backs up my theory that animals can be demon-possessed. I've had several dogs that I feel were... <laughs> My son had a dog a few years ago that you couldn't control, ran all over, you know, couldn't give. His name was Luke. I told him it was short for Lucifer. <laughs> okay. There are demons. There's no doubt. Otherwise, we've got to cut out a lot of the Bible and a lot of Jesus' ministry. There, there is a horrible, heretical line of thought that there weren't really ge- demons, but Jesus pretended to cast demons out because the culture believed in demons when he was here. Now, you can find this in, in several commentaries, by the way. Uh, let, let, me, let me read you one. This is what one commentary says about demon-possessed people. Uh, these are persons afflicted with especially severe diseases, either bodily or mentally, whose bodies, now watch, watch this heresy, in the opinion of the Jews, demons had entered and their cure was thought to require the expulsion of the demon. As if they believed that, so Jesus pretended to go along with it. Uh, That's a desecration of the Scripture. Don't ever get caught up in something like that. Let me read you a a few Scriptures. Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. That's the Bible, says they were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who would say. Why would the Bible say he cast them out if they weren't there? Matthew 9, 32 and 33. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. 
And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. Matthew 17, 18, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Mark 3, 14 and 15, Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Mark 6, 12 and 13, so they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Mark 16, 17, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Uh, let me say it this way. C.S. Lewis says that there are two groups of people that Satan absolutely loves and gets excited over, the skeptic and the superstitious. Let me say it another way. There are people who see a demon behind every bush. They're, they're superstitious people. But there are people who say that demons don't exist and never have existed, or they don't exist today. They just exist in Jesus' time, the skeptic. And here's what C.S. Lewis says, Satan loves both those types because they're both in bondage. They're both in deception. There, there are people that, uh, when I start talking about demons, say, oh, pastor, let's not talk about that stuff. And there are other people that feel like, oh, good, he's getting to the good stuff. Okay, listen to me. If you're in either one of those camps, you need to move to the middle. <laughs> you're in the wrong camp, all right? We're not skeptics and we're not superstitious. We don't deny them, but they are there. And Jesus came to set us free. You'll never get free if you don't know that you can be in bondage, that you can be in trouble. Uh, Jack Hayford, again, there are two camps. Jack Hayford says it this way, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. You can't cast out the flesh, and you can't disciple a demon. In other words, there are people that simply say, it's just the flesh. What you're going through is just the flesh, and you need to learn to overcome the flesh. And what you need is discipleship or discipline. The word discipleship comes from disciple, which comes from discipline. Okay, discipline. You just need more discipline in your life. And then the others say, no, you've got a demon, and, and, and the reason that you can't, you know, um, uh, do this or do that or do this or do that. It's because you've got a demon and, and, and they try to, they think deliverance is the answer to everything. Here, here's the old, age old debate. Do we need discipleship or deliverance? Here's the answer. Yes. Because you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple the demon. Are, are y'all following me? It's both. When I realized that I had demonic bondage in my life, I was saved. I loved the Lord. Debbie and I were married. I'd, I'd gotten saved after we got married. I'd started even ministering, but I was still very, very much in bondage to lust and even immorality. And yet I was saved. I was in my early 20s. And James Robinson started sharing with me in his home about demons and showing me scripture after scripture after scripture that demons can take Christians in, the, in bondage. And I remember we had ice cream. I remember we had ice cream. And I remember saying to him after a little while, I said, wait, 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 because I could see where he's going. I said, are you saying I have demons? And James, in his very uh, gracious way, said, oh, you got a whole flock of them. <laughs> and I got so upset, and it's never happened since, and it never happened before, I let my ice cream melt. You know, I mean, I just sat there thinking, I, I got demons. These guys got demons. I got demons. I got demons. But let me tell you what happened. The more we went through the word, listen to me the more hope I had because I thought, well, I can get free. Amen. This is why. This is why. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be very transparent with you. 
This is why I'll be over standing up preaching and notice a woman, very beautiful, and couldn't get my thoughts off of it when I was in my early 20s. This, and I thought, That's, this is why. I have a spirit. I have a spirit that I could get set free from. So listen to me. Don't get upset what I'm telling you that you could have a problem in this area. You ought to get excited because the great thing is Jesus takes care of problems. The, in 30, 30 years of ministry, I've been in ministry 32 or 33 years now. The only people I've ever seen that can't get free are the people that won't admit they're in bondage. That's the only people. If you'll just admit it, you can get free. So number one, there, there really are demons. Number two, they really do enter people. They, they really do enter people. Uh, John 10, uh, we'll get to Luke 10 in a moment. John 10, Jesus said, verse 1, most assuredly, most assuredly, this is very true what I'm telling you. He who does not enter, well, you know, sort enter the sheepfold. What, what in the world would the sheepfold represent? Wouldn't that be where the sheep are, the believers? Enter the sheep by the door, and he's the door, but climbs up some other way into the sheepfold. That's where they're going. The same is a thief and a robber. And in verse 10, we know the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, here's what he's saying. The thief can get in. I'm telling you, he's trying to tell them the thief can get in. Now, he can't come through me, but he can get in some other way. And he will do everything he can to get into the sheep some other way, and he doesn't come. He does not come. You know what? A lot of people misquote that verse. They say, you know, the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It sort of says that, and I really don't want to go into all the Greek language here, but it says he does not come except. In other words, he's telling you, let me tell you the only reasons he's coming. Every time he comes, he's going to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's what Jesus is telling us. Very emphatic, this language here. Okay. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, uh, let's explain this word and go back to the original language. The word uh, uh, demon-possessed in the Greek is actually two words, demon-possessed. It's actually daimonai zomai. Daimonai zomai would be if you want to say it all at once. But daimonai, which would be the word demon, zomai means to possess. Uh, so to translate it, demon-possessed is okay. I really think a, a better translation is demonized. But to translate demon-possessed is okay other than the fact that we did not then teach people what the word possess means here. Because there are two Greek words for possession. One is ownership. This is not the word for ownership. Uh, this word means to gain mastery over. Now, mastery would be the exact literal, but let me give you some synonyms of that. To gain control over. To have power over. Uh, that there, this Greek word is used another place in the New Testament, Luke 21, 19. It says, by your patience, possess your souls. Okay, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't be saying own your souls because he told us to give our souls to him. He said, if you don't lose your soul, then you will lose it if you don't give it away. Uh, the Bible says you're bought with a price. You, don't, you're not, you are not your own. You don't even belong to you. So Jesus wouldn't be saying in the end times, which is what this is, chapter is talking about, you need to own your soul again. He's not saying own your soul. He's saying gain the mastery over your soul. You need to gain control over your soul. That's what this word possess means. That's what messes us up. So can a Christian be owned by a demon? No. We're owned by God. But can a Christian be under the control of a demon? 
Uh, let, me, let me read you a couple of other definitions of this word that say it pretty well. Thayer's definition says it means to be under the power of a demon. This is, this is um, defining demonai zomai, the Greek word, to be under the power, under the mastery, under the control of a demon in a certain area of your life, in one, maybe lust or unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment or gluttony or whatever the area could be. Uh, Lunida does it this way. This is the definition. One cannot speak of a person being possessed by a demon. This is defining the word. A more appropriate expression may be the person possesses or has a demon. In other instances, an idiomatic phrase is employed. The demon rides the person or the demon commands the person. Now, let me just, you don't, 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 don't raise your hand, but let me just ask you this question. Is there an area of your life you just can't get the victory in? Is there an area of your life that you feel helpless, powerless? Is there an area of your life, a sin that you have confessed over and over and over and over and over and over? And I don't have enough time to keep saying overs. (laughs) And over and over again and told God I'll never do that again, but you keep doing it. Okay, can I say this to you lovingly? Wake up. (laughs) You're in bondage. That, that is not a, you know what we do? We say, well, well, I have a weakness in that area. You've had it 20 years. <laughs> it is not a weakness. And listen, I'm not telling you bad news. I'm telling you good news. If you're in bondage, I know the one who can set you free. I know him. He can set you free. But he can't set you free if you don't know you're in bondage. So you have to know you're in bondage. So let me give you an illustration. When I was preparing this, and I started this series a couple of months ago studying for it. I'm so excited about it. Let me give you an illustration that I think will help you tremendously. Uh, let's say that when you came to church today, you left a door or a window open in your house. And when you go home, you find there's a thief in your house. Okay, very, very simple question. Does that thief own your house? No. But guess what? He is in your house. And we'll let that sink in for a minute because some of you are like, uh-oh. <laughs> I think I know where he's going with this illustration. Yeah, he's in. And he has control over your house until you arrest him and take him out in handcuffs. Amen. He's got control. And let me tell you what he'll do while he's there. He'll steal, he'll kill, and he'll destroy. He's a thief, and he's in your house. It's extremely important. Let me show you some, some Old Testament types of this. I've got so many scripture on this, and I just couldn't put them all in one message, but I got a whole series to talk about it. So just stay with me for the whole series, all right? Let me just show you a few Old Testament types. Lamentations 1.10 says the adversary, obviously that represents Satan, our enemy, our adversary. The adversary has spread his hand over all her, now this is talking about Israel, which would be a type of, doesn't replace the church, but a type of the people of God, the church. All her pleasant things. Now watch this. For she, the people of God, she, the church, has seen that the nations, representing the enemy, enter her sanctuary. Those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. But they did. They entered. Lamentations 4.12. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. If you go on, you'll see it says, but he did. The enemy entered. 
Joel 2 verse 9, watch, watch just how clear it is. They run to and fro in the city. They, speaking of the swarming locusts that come in and chew, eat everything up. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. Now watch this. They climb into the houses. They climb into, not just on, into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. They enter. Now next week, we're going to talk about how to close doors and windows where they enter. We're going to talk about that, all right? So don't miss, but we're going to talk about that next week. Okay. But let me give you another illustration. I named this message Under the Influence. I don't know if I even told you that at the first, but the title of this message is Under the Influence. Um, I'll give you another example. If a man, and let's say the man's a Christian, he's a believer. He's a believer. He, he believes in Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. If he drinks a lot of alcoholic, alcoholic beverage, if he drinks a lot of alcohol, or if he takes some medicine, prescribed or illegal drug, something, but he takes some, some, some substance into his body, and he takes a lot of it, let's say, and then he does something, well, let me, let me ask you this way. Do the drugs or the alcohol, do they own that man? They don't own him. They, he's still owned by God. He's a believer. They don't own him, but are they in him? <laughs> and are they under, is he under the influence of those drugs and alcohol he took? Yeah. And here's what happens many times. He ends up doing something totally out of character that he's very ashamed of later. Is that right? Okay. Um. If a man who's a Christian begins to look at pornography, hear, hear me, you're opening a door to the enemy, and he will come in. He's not going to own you, but he will be in, and you will be under his influence, under his power. And this man, who's maybe a very good husband, good father, maybe a, a, a good grandfather, will wind up doing something totally out of character that shocks him and everybody around him and that he's very ashamed of because he was under the influence of a spirit that he opened the door to. Are, are, y'all, are you following me? Everyone follow me on this? Okay. So, now, listen to me. If you're starting to get depressed... <laughs> don't get depressed... Because there really are demons. They really do enter people. But here's point three. Jesus really does cast them out. He really does. Now, now go to Luke 10. All right, Luke 10, verse 17. Jesus had sent 70. He sent the 12 out with power over demons. Then he sent 70 out. And then verse 17 says, Then the 70 returned with joy saying, now listen, this is what they said. Lord, they're talking to Jesus now. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, really? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm... <laughs> I just see these people say, Lord, even the demons obey us. <gasps> really? Demon? You know, was, you're talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's what, he, here's what in essence he says. That doesn't impress me. Because here's what he says. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Listen, when he, when he rebelled against my father, he was out quicker than lightning. So I'm not impressed by Satan, a created being. Behold, I give you the authority. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. There are types and shadows again. He doesn't mean snakes and stinging critters. Okay, this is demons. The whole subject's about demons. Serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Notice, you don't need to be excited about this. This isn't the exciting part. That the spirits are subject to you. But I do want you to notice the spirits are subject. This word, by the way, uh, subject means obedient, submissive slaves. That's what it means. Obedient, submissive slaves in the name of Jesus. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. Now, remember the words, these things, from the wise and the prudent. In other words, the the people who think they're smart. And revealed them to these babes, these young disciples. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Okay, notice he said, Father, thank you, you've hidden these things. What were they just talking about? They were talking about authority over demons. And he said, I know, God, that the smart people don't believe they're demons. They don't believe that we have authority over them. But these precious babes, these young believers, they know. They saw it. They understand that. I thank you, Lord, for that. The spirits are subject in his name. Um, It is amazing to me how many people will say that, you know, there aren't demons and we don't need to talk about them. Um, I have a friend of mine that uh, got saved out of the hippie movement in the 70s. In the Jesus, he got saved in the Jesus movement from being, he was a hippie, you know, hitchhiking, all that stuff. And he went directly into a, a strong, spirit-filled, believing church that understood spiritual warfare. Then he went to a Bible college that understood spiritual warfare. Then he went to the mission field, and he went into language school to learn the language. And when he got to language school, he met some missionaries from another religious background that didn't believe in spiritual warfare. And he was shocked. He had never met anyone that didn't believe in demons because when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's most of what Jesus is doing. So he was shocked, and he kept saying them, you, you, don't, you don't believe in demons. They were like, no, and then they gave him this, you know, long, stupid answer, you know. And he was just shocked, and he was shocked. And so he said to them, so you don't cast demons out of people. And they said, well, no. And then listen to his wonderful, pure answer. He said, you leave them in? <laughs> you leave them in? Okay, can I tell you something? That's really only the two choices. Either leave them in or cast them out. And I'm for casting them out. Now, you might be starting to feel like, uh-oh, I may have a problem in an area. Okay, again, I don't want you to feel bad about it. So I want to show you one more thing, and then we're finished. Um, see, we don't have a problem knowing that God has the power. But what the enemy does is focus on our weakness and our history. And say, so, well, now you can't get free. Other people can get free, but you can't get free. Because I've really got a bondage, a stronghold in this area. Okay, I just want to remind you, this man was in Mark 5, where we started, he was demonized. A legion, 6,826. 
He, he lived naked in the cemetery. Okay? So none of you are as in bondage as this guy. I mean, y'all got your clothes on, so that's good. <laughs> so none of you are as in bondage as this guy. So I want to show you something that will give you hope. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. Here's what I want to tell you. Satan does not have the power to stop you from coming to Jesus. That's what we just read. If he could have stopped anyone, he could have stopped that guy. So if you're in bondage, if you have a difficulty in your life, if you have a weakness, if you have an area of sin you can't stop, you can't break, you're probably in bondage in that area. You're under the influence in that area. But Jesus can set you free. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to do something a little differently this week. And that is that I think all of us are going to be convicted about an area of our life that, Lord, we need freedom. We need to be free. And we're going to have a a time where we minister, as we always do, and pray for you. But I'm going to give you an opportunity because I think more people may need ministry than what could come just simply to the front. Remember I said he ran and worshipped him, this man. And that word worship, I told you, the Greek word means to, to bow down. In just a moment, we're going to stand at every campus in every overflow room, and we're going to worship. Worship. He ran and worshiped him. And during this time, we're going to have leaders at the front of every campus and every overflow room. If you need prayer for any area of your life, and you want someone to pray with you, I want you to come. Even if it's a, it's a bondage, you say, I, I just need some. I know I need to confess it to someone. I need prayer. I want you to come to one of the leaders at the front of whichever campus you're attending. But also, if you want to simply come and kneel at the altar, you can come. If you need to just come and, and prostrate yourself, bow down before the Lord and worship Him and say, Lord, I need to get free. I, it's a bondage. I'm going to quit making excuses for it, Lord. It's a bondage. I need to be free. Then you can come. And if you want to simply kneel at your seat, in an act of humbling yourself. See, again, let me tell you again, the only people I've ever known that cannot get free are the people who want humble, truly humble themselves. They, sometimes they'll do it outwardly. They, they won't do it in their heart. If you, if you need freedom in any area of your life, then as soon as we stand up, I want you to stand up, step out and come to one of the leaders. Let us pray for you at every campus or come and kneel at the front or kneel right where you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that all of us will respond to what you're saying right now at every campus in Jesus' name. Amen. I was 19 years old when I gave my life to the Lord, and everything changed. I didn't have any desire to go back to that old life. I wanted to walk with the Lord and learn more about Him. And some people helped me to learn the Bible and to learn how to pray and to learn about my new life in Christ. And that's what we want to do for you. I am so excited that you've given your life to the Lord. He's forgiven all of your sins, and you're on your way to heaven. But we need to learn some things now about the Bible, about prayer, about some basics of the Christian life so that you can be victorious and live for the Lord like I know you want to. So we've designed a class called Fresh Start. 
And I want to encourage you to sign up for this class because we want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord now. I love you and I'm so proud of you.